Well, good morning. We're, uh, we're going to continue our series that we've been looking at with Fired Up. And uh, just, before I, just before I go there, I just want to underscore something that Andrew said. He, uh, well, there's one thing I want to challenge. He said that there's a lot of people in this church that have been delivered from mental health. And I thought, they've been delivered from mental health, really? And I didn't know who he had in mind. Was it me? But there you go. Um, but there, Lou says it's all right, it was him. Um, but there's a story in, in the New Testament. Jesus meets this man at a, um, at a region called the Gardarenes. And this man was really, really tormented. He, he wouldn't wear clothes. And he spent the night calling out in, in agony and torment and cutting himself with sharp stones. And the, and the story goes on and talks about his, uh, his encounter with Jesus and Jesus' encounter with him. But this is what it said at the end. And I, this is the bit I want to focus on. It says, when the, when the people from the town came to where Jesus was, they saw the man clothed and in his right mind. They saw the man, and in one encounter with Jesus caused that man who was in great agony of soul and mind to be clothed and in his right mind. Isn't that fantastic? What an incredible outcome. If you're, if you're struggling with, with mental illness today, just go home and read Mark chapter 5 and just say, you know, I need to encounter that Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. A couple of weeks ago, Maddie did a great job leading the worship and she read from a, a passage of scripture about the secret place. And God just began to speak to me about the secret place and the place, the, 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 the way that it fits in with what we've been talking about, about fired up. So I've got to, I've got to apologise to Graham because you know how we stand up here and say, and last week so-and-so spoke about this. I just wanted to say, I went up and said to Samuel, I got up at two o'clock this morning. I did watch the football. I was very disappointed and I was so upset that when I went back to sleep, I couldn't sleep. So there is a price to pay for being fired up. Um, but, you know, we get up and say that, you know, Pam spoke about this and Samuel spoke about that. I've got no idea what Graham spoke about because I wrote the sermon in the sermon, if you know what I mean. So I just needed to confess that before you. And so, because the Bible says, you know, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So if you guys could pray for me that I would be healed and I would listen in church. Okay. So today we're going to just throw up the, the, the screens and we're going to talk about being transformed in the secret place. So we're going to go right to the first screen and go right to the Bible. We're going to pray. Father, we ask that you would come by your spirit today, just like you promised. Lord, that you would open up the word just like you promised. God, that you would open up our minds to understand your word just like you've demonstrated. And that Holy Spirit, the word would bring freedom to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is an interesting story, Exodus 33. Um, it talks about Moses and Moses and Joshua, who are the two guys I wanted to reference today. We've been looking at some, some characters in the Bible that from their, their story, we open up some keys or we open up some principles that we can use in our journey to be fired up. 
So I want to look at this today. It says, and Moses went into the tent. What would happen? Moses, when the the children of Israel were travelling from Egypt to Canaan, they had no um, permanent place of worship. And so what Moses did, he set up this tent a little way out of the camp and he called it the tent of meeting. And what would happen is that Moses would go down to the the tent of meeting. And this is the really interesting thing. When Moses went into the tent of meeting, when when Moses initiated the contact, God came. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't like Moses was watching the tent and saw the cloud come and thought, God's there, I better go. No. Moses went to the tent and God came. That's That's going to be interesting for us as we go through this. So the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And skipping over a verse in verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And that's, that's the key phrase I want you to hold on today. The secret place, whatever it looks like, is the place where God speaks to us face to face as one speaks to a friend. And, and just notice what it says about Joshua. It says Moses would then return to the camp, but his, his aide, his assistant, the young man Joshua, stayed in the tent. In some of the other versions it says he refused to depart from the tent. There was something about the secret place where God came to meet us that Joshua wanted to stay there. And continue in that place. So let's go to the next screen. So today we're talking about the secret place. Finding your secret place. He who dwells in the secret place. Say secret place with me. Do you know why it's a secret place? Because it's a secret between you and God. It's your place. It's the place where God speaks to you face to face. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. And this is the part where I need to get my notes out, otherwise I won't know where I'm up to. And that's the last page, so I won't go there. Somebody's stolen the pair. Here it is. Okay. So I really believe that this... Finding and engaging God in the secret place is really, really important to us in our efforts to stay on fire with God. Finding our secret place. You know, when I was, when I was little, well, all my life really, I've been involved with, with music and singing. And um, for me, my secret place is the worship time. And which is fine, which is great. I know some of you get into that. Some of you enjoy singing and really like the worship time. Some of you just don't like it. And that's okay. When I mean don't like the worship, please don't misunderstand me. What I mean by that is singing's not your bag. You know, when I was two, I, I've got a twin sister. And people say, does she look like you? And I say, no, nah, she shaves. Actually, some, many people have asked me if we're identical, to which I say, you might want to rethink that question. But my, my sister and I, 
when we were two, we, we lived with our grandmother in, uh, in a city in, in Sydney called Roseville. And it was, you know, because it was where our grandmother lived, she was like born in 1896. It was entirely populated by old people. And it was a great place to grow up because we would go and stand at the front gate at two. It was locked, so we couldn't get out. But we would stand there and the old people would come past and we would entertain them with our songs. Like for hours. And music always has had this incredible part in my life. And, and there was a time when I thought, that's the secret place. And then I realised that God was bigger than me and different to me. And that you might be different to me. And you might enjoy what I enjoy and there's some things that you do. Like I, I've got... One of the guys here, I don't think Brad's here today, but Brad loves running. I think running's the thing you do only if you're being chased by a lion. But other than that, not really. But, but he really likes it. So let's go to the next scripture. Have you noticed that God is incredibly diverse and rich? Look at what it says there. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches... You know, he's not, he's not meagre. God is not on a budget. He's, he's diverse and wonderful. I play that out of his glorious riches. He might strengthen you with power in, in your inner being through the Spirit. And, and go to the next, the next part. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. There's, and I've got down there, these are all the other words because, you know, you might say, well, I wonder why he uses the King James, sometimes, the New King James sometimes. Sometimes he uses the NIV, sometimes. Why doesn't he just stick to one translation? Well, the reality is one translation doesn't use the words I want to focus on. So I find a translation that suits my theology. It's a great idea. So down there I put all the words that the different translations use about God. And God's wisdom. It says in some translations, it's the manifold or the manifold wisdom of God. Some other verses, uh, versions say the multifaceted wisdom of God. There's other places where it talks about innumerable aspects. And then, like in this translation, it says the rich variety. What I've come to see is God, God is not kind of, I don't mean to say that he's all things to all men, but he's so diverse and so rich and so amazing that he has the capacity to meet with you in a place that is totally designed and suited to who you are. Because he totally designed and created who you are. And so, you know, I need to apologise to the church because there's times when I've limited the way God can relate to people down to a narrow thing or maybe in worship or some other thing. And I'm beginning to realise that there's some aspects of nature where God can come and meet with someone and that's their secret place. And they might not even sing a song. Imagine that. Or there's, and you, know, you know there's things about God you just don't understand? There's some people that when they run, they feel God's pleasure. 
I usually feel my hamstring um, when I run. But I want to show you a video. Just look at this for a minute. Who's old enough to remember Chariots of Fire? Uh, this was a really, this was a really interesting thing for me to see this this um, see, this particular scene because as I watched, I began to think, you know, I saw my own life sometimes where I had become fixated on a very small, narrow, and particular aspect of God and His work, and. And for Eric Little, Eric Little was a, a runner, obviously, in the 1924 Olympics, but he also went on to serve and to be martyred in China uh, in the late 40s as a, as a uh, missionary. But at this time, he was deciding whether he kept working in the college or the university Christian group, or he went out into the track, uh, the sporting group in the sporting arena, and ran for England, ultimately Great Britain in the, in the Olympic Games. And what he said there, the words he said there, Jenny, God made me fast and I feel his pleasure when I run. Now, I've never felt that for two reasons. God did not make me that fast. And it's not something that I really love to do. But he did. And it was a place where God came and met him as he was in a way that he could relate to him as a friend. You know, we've all got stuff that we can talk about. Who's got friends that talk about stuff that really gets them going and you just haven't got a clue what they're talking about and you just nod and smile? We, I have a friend who's a brain surgeon and... Uh, when he was single, he um, we, and, and I had the luxury of being a full-time pastor, means I didn't have to get up at like 7.30 in the morning to go to work. He would come home, to, uh, come to my place, and have a cup of coffee with me at 2 in the morning after he finished the shift, like cutting people's heads open and, or, or sewing them back up or horrific brain injuries and accidents and all that sort of stuff. And, and I would just let him come and talk to me about his day and because you can imagine having to operate on a 13 year old that's just had a horrific car accident and their life is hanging by a thread and he's got the responsibility of trying to put that back together it, it was incredibly stressful and he would come to talk to me about the the operation and I would nod and smile and think what the heck is he talking about and sometimes it's like that. God meets us where we are. Moses went out to the tent of meeting and the Bible said God came to him and met him as a friend face to face. And I just want to encourage you, whatever the thing is that you feel God's pleasure on you when you do it, make it your secret place. Ask God to come to you in the midst of that place and begin to talk to you face to face. And so I want to look at just um, one more passage of Scripture. I've got a few I'll throw in. And I want to talk about how this secret place works. So what the idea of the secret place is, is God wants to show us his glory that we might be transformed by it. We might be changed to be like him. Now we've been talking about being fired up. In Hebrews 13, it says that our God is a what? Consuming 
by her. If we want to be a consuming fire for God, get into the secret place. Meet face to face with his glory and allow him to change you to become like that. So this, this is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Say that word with me. Freedom. Do we have a William Wallace in the house today? No? Sorry, sorry. So many of my um, movie examples are before some of you were born. But there you go. That's what happens when you get old. Um, I won't talk about the sound of music, okay? Um, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Sound of Music was the first movie I ever saw in my life at the drive-in with my parents in their car. And it was amazing. Except for the clothes. I wouldn't have worn those clothes. But we all, and I want to stop and focus on this last line here, but we all with unveiled face. We all with unveiled face. And to do this, I'm actually going to, you know, I'm really old school today. How many know what, what this is? No, 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 no. I'm talking about this actual thing. Because I reckon there's some of you here who may not have ever used one of these. And you've only ever had the one that lives inside your telephone. Okay, we, we call those a mobile. Because they're in a mobile. But this is... I had to go down to the, uh, <clears throat> to the museum and get this out. This is actually what was known as a Bible. And in the old days, we, (laughs) you're going to be surprised by this, we actually used to read stuff out of the actual book. It's amazing. It's amazing the things we used to do. Um, So, and, and we used to do that with little markers so we could find out where the stuff is. So this is kind of like a sermon and a history lesson all at the same time. So in the secret place, it says that we all with unveiled faces, and I, and I opened that up because I want to read you a little bit more of that, that um, passage. Well, I, no, I'm just going to quote it. It says that whenever... I'll start that again. Whenever anybody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I'll say that again. Whenever anybody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What were they talking about? Paul was writing about Israel, national Israel, and the Jews and their their religious culture. And he was saying that to this day, the Jewish people who don't acknowledge Jesus have a veil over their face and over their heart that, that is a barrier from them truly connecting with the living God because God determined that the way to meet with him was through Jesus, through the cross, like Anne said this morning. So there's a veil and and how many have had that experience? Who can remember back to before they they were saved and if somebody talked about God, you thought it was just weird. You know, you just didn't understand what they were talking about. Couldn't understand why people were getting so excited about it for a start. 
That's because there was a veil there. And, and you couldn't know. You, you remember that, Lisa, don't you? Oh, of course I do. Yeah, it was, only, it was only, what, not that long ago. And do you, do you remember the, the veil? Do you remember feeling like there was something there? The Bible says that when we come, when we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before and thought about what that means to our relationship with God. The thing, the thing that separates from God, us from God is sin. And when Christ died on the cross, he took upon himself the sin of the whole world. And mentioned that this morning. Not only historical sin, not only current sin, but God took upon Himself the sin that you will ever commit, even stuff that you haven't even thought about that you're going to do in the future. He's paid the price for that. And so sin is no longer a factor. Now, I want to be very careful when I say this. Sin is no longer a factor between us and God because God dealt with it. Now, that doesn't mean, like Paul says, so what should we say then? Shall we all just go out and sin? No worries. No, it doesn't say that at all. But, but the point I want to make to you today is so many times, and, I, and I've had this experience myself, and I've battled with this. So many times the things that stop us going into the secret place is we're not quite sure what kind of reception we'll get there. Yeah? We're not quite sure. You know, the Bible says that Jesus loved us and God forgave us, but yeah, we're not quite sure. Because, you know, that might be okay for those that were just committed a few little sins but hey for some of us we went the whole way we committed big sins and you know I'm not so sure that God can forgive those but the Bible says this if any man is in Christ he's a new creation all the old things have what and all things have become new all things have become new. Therefore, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Romans chapter 8. Last time I spoke, I, I talked about that. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has what set us free. Where the spirit is, there is freedom. Has set us free from the law of sin and death. Really? Really? Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, if anyone hears my word and believes God who sent me, he will have eternal life and he, he will not enter into judgment, but he has already passed from death to life. When was that? The moment you heard the word and believed God. So did I change? Well, not much, but a whole lot. Did I change my character? Probably not. Did I change who I was? Maybe not that much. What changed? 
my relationship with God. But I didn't do anything. (laughs) That's exactly the point. We couldn't do anything. That's why God had to send his son to die on the cross because we were unable to change our situation. So he came and he completely changed everything. And so now, now we find ourselves in this position where the veil is taken away and we have free access. We've already passed from death to life. Colossians goes on to say that he's rescued us and transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own dear son. We've been transferred. Now, some of you would have heard Samuel preach last week about football. I listened to the, I listened to the um, podcast I don't know what else he spoke about. I only heard a bit about football. But, and so I was up again this morning watching. But here's the thing. There are some players who have some ability that are playing in a really bad team because that's where they ended up. And so every week they're getting beaten and they're not having a good time. But then the transfer window comes. And what happens is the transfer window is the time when all the really rich clubs can go and find all the really good players at the poor club and give them lots of money and the the player can then come and play in a really good team. Unless you support Arsenal and then they just come and play in a, a mediocre team that's getting more mediocre by the day. But here's the thing. They are transferred out of what to them seemed like the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. All of a sudden, there's a whole new world for them. And that's where we are. Colossians says, we've been transferred out of one kingdom into the other kingdom. And I've got one more verse. And you're going to love this one. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, So let us come boldly boldly into the presence of God before the throne of grace. I don't know, that's not the one. That's not the one, Cam. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace where we might find mercy and what? Grace to help. How many in your Christian life have found out that you need a little help from time to time? Anyone? How many in your Christian life have found out that you're going to bed one night and you're thinking, man, that was not a good day. I need some grace. I need to stand in some grace because what I was standing in today was just not where I want to stand. Can anybody relate to that? So this is what it says. The veil's been taken away and we've got the right But you say, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. We've got the right to come and stand before God and to converse with him face to face. Now, let's have a look what happens in that time. Can we go back to that verse in 2 Corinthians? So when we, 
when the veil's taken away and we come before him in the secret place, whatever that is, sometimes it's just in our corporate worship gathering and we're worshipping him and we're singing Waymaker, Waymaker, Waymaker. God, you are the Waymaker. And all of a sudden, the words to the song become a revelation to our heart and we say, God, there's times when I feel like I don't know the way forward and I don't know if there is a way forward, but this song says that you are the way maker. God, would you come and show me that? And God comes. God comes. At the end of that passage in Exodus chapter 33, God says to Moses, now look, look Moses, these people you're hanging out with, they're not my kind of people. So you lead them down to to Canaan, I'm not going to go with you because I'm not sure. This is literally what he said. I'm not sure I can trust myself to not kill them on the way. <laughs> Anybody felt like that with your kids? You know, sometimes you're on, you're on a trip in the car and you're not sure if you're going to get to the destination and those kids are still going to be alive. <laughs> you know, kids, you can't live with them and the government won't let you kill them. This is what God was feeling. He's saying, Moses, I'm not sure I can go with you because every day I look at these people and they do something that makes me want to wipe them out. Now, he was, he was being a little bit kind of humorous like I am because he wanted Moses to do something. And Moses said, God, if you don't come with me, don't send me up with them because I might kill them. No, no, don't send me up with them because I cannot do this without you. And then Moses says, God, show me your glory. And so in the next, the next couple of verses in, the, in chapter 34, God says, Moses, I'm going to cause all of my, who remembers the word that he used? Do you remember? I'm going to cause, he, God, Moses said, God, show me your glory. And he said, Moses, I'm going to do it. I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass before you. God, I wanted to see glory and thunder and lightning. and Mate, when you see this, it's going to be a life changer for you. So God walks past him and he declares, I am the Lord God, the merciful one, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's who he is. So when we come and stand before him, we have the opportunity to converse with him. Now here's the rub. Even in the moments we have, when we have opportunity to stand before him, sometimes we don't converse with him face to face because we're afraid. God said to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, where are you? And Adam said, I heard your footsteps in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we pull the veil back up and we hide behind it and say, God, I don't want to talk to you because I'm not really sure that you're going to accept me today. That's just not true. That is not true. The Bible clearly, I've showed you all those verses. Today, 
in the mouth of two or three witnesses, that fact has been established, that God has so completely dealt with your sin as far as he is concerned, that it is no longer a hindrance between you and him. And so therefore he has taken the veil away and you can come with full assurance into his presence, knowing that he will not only accept you, but talk with you face to face as a man talks with his friend. And the promise is from this scripture that when we do that, when we do that, we are transformed into that same image as we look at him face to face, as we see him. Now here's the great thing. It says the word there, that beholding as in a mirror, that's fantastic. You know why? Because sometimes we are seeing a reflection of the Father in one another. Sometimes that's the mirror that we see. Sometimes the things that spur us into the presence of God and to press in further with God is something we've seen in one of our friends. And we go, God, I would love to be like that. God says, here it is. Here it is. You know, when it comes to being on fire, it can never be about, what's the word? I wrote some really good words down and I'm not going to remember them, so I'm going to have to read them. Here it is. Getting on fire for God is not a matter of resolution. You can't say, I'm going to get on fire for God and I'm going to, through an act of my will, get on fire. Because it doesn't work that way. Getting on fire for God is a matter of revelation. What happens is we see him and, and drawing close to him like Samuel was talking about last week is a response to his goodness, to his greatness, to his mercy, to his kindness. And so we draw in close and in that drawing in close, we are changed. And here's, here's the thing for us. It's not about motivation. It's about transformation. See, it's not about whether I can motivate you to do something. And I, and I, thought, I thought that, that um, video was good, but there's a, there's a slight thing wrong with it. Motivation, doesn't matter how good it is, doesn't change who you are. Only revelation changes who you are. And even in the natural world, if you're with a, a motivational speaker, it's not, it's not his ability to smile. And we've got a, we've got a, a, a work coach, like my, my brother is the boss, and he's got a coach that sends us videos to watch. And this is what he does in the video. He's on a, a chair with wheels. And uh, he smiles a lot, as those kind of business coaching type guys do. They smile a lot. And he moves back and forwards on his chair. And when I say move, I'm not talking about that far. I'm talking about maybe two feet back from the screen. And then he pushes himself forward again. And it's like you're watching and you go, for goodness sake, just stay still and tell me what you want to tell me. It's, it's not about the motivation. It's about something being revealed to us that we catch in a moment and say, yes, I want to pursue that. I want to pursue that. That's the best we can hope for. But here's the thing. 
all of us are here today. Every one of us are here today because we saw someone do what John Wesley suggested they do. And this is what Wesley said. How do we have a revival? Easy. Just catch on fire and people will come from miles just to watch you burn. All of us are here today because we encountered someone who, through a face-to-face relationship with the living God, was on fire. And we said, I want what he's having. I want what she's having. And that was the thing that prompted our journey. Someone came into your shop. Someone came and spoke to you. You encountered someone. Someone moved into a house next door. But whatever it was, somebody who'd been in the presence of God and spoken to him face to face, like one speaks to a friend, and in that process was transformed into the same image from one level of glory to the next level of glory, to another level of glory, to a higher level of glory. And we saw it. And we said, I'm having what they're having. Can we stand and pray?